to our podcast, A Bigger Conversation. This is Tom Nyhart with my co-host, BJ Clear. And today's podcast, we will be starting the bigger conversation about the story of God in Genesis 1 through Genesis 2-3, the story of creation. All right. I'll read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, 
and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I grew up thinking, you know, that this was just about creation. That that's what it is. It's a story about how God created everything. Move on to chapter 3. I see it as much more than that now. Okay. Um, going back to the questions that we finished with, if you are hearing this for the first time, what are some of the things that sound strange to you? And you should pick up the strangeness of a cadence, uh, of, of patterns, of seasons and days. And uh, there was evening and there was morning um, and it was good and it was good and it was good. And all of these, all this repetition, all these phrases that are in there are in there for a purpose. I don't know if you remember much of your uh, English days in high school or literature days, uh, but what are some of the things um, that you would have read that always contained patterns? That always contained patterns? Well, when you'd read Shakespeare, it was all in iambic pentameter, so you had the same rhythm to the words all the time. Um and in poetry, you would get um, repetitions a lot. But in regular prose, there typically wasn't that type of repetition if it's outside of the creative sphere. And that's what we find in the creation story is that it is written in a pattern after ancient Middle Eastern poetry. Hmm. And so you've got this rhythm and you've got this cadence. And it all points to specific things. Um, one of the things that jumps out, jumps out to me anyway, uh, is this, the, the phrase, it is good. Uh, six times the text says it is good. God creates a light and separates light from the darkness and it's good. And, and God... God uh, separates this, and it's good, and God fills the days, and it's good, and he creates this, and it's good. And we get to day six, and God has created all the land, the seas, the skies, filled it full of all the good things, creates mankind, humankind, And then what does the text say that seventh time? And it was very good. 
and it was very good. Very good. In our culture, good, we rep- everything's good. We reply to good about everything. Oh, this is good. How was your pizza? Oh, my pizza was good. Good, in a lot of cases, I, I, I feel like good has become meh. Meh. It's good. It's okay. Oh. It's meh. It was good enough. It was good enough. <laughs> but in the text, good is, I mean, God created light out of darkness, separated it, and it was good. That is, that's great. That's fantastic. That's astronomical. Then we get to the creation of humankind and God creates humankind and looks at everything and says, this isn't just great, fantastic. This is very great, very fantastic. This is, this is the best thing. And I had never looked at it like that before. I just read through the text. God created this. That was good. That was good. And what that tells me is that when God created humankind, he places so much value on each one of us. And I don't think we see that. I don't think we live that way. I don't think we feel that way. Another thing that... uh, that strikes me is day seven. And there's a question that I think we could ask if we wanted to ask it. Why did God have to rest? Why did God have to rest? He was tired. Was he tired? That's a fair question. I mean, it seems like an odd thing to put in the text. God's God. You need to rest. So why is it there? Why did God rest? To make a day that's holy? That's a very good question. That's a very funny answer. Um, well, that's what he said. He said... They made it holy. Thus the heavens of the earth were finally done. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Maybe it was holy because he rested. He didn't make the seventh day to be holy. But it became holy because he rested. And yet, why did he rest? And I think God rested to show us the example there's another thing that God does in in this story, and God creates humankind in His image. A Hebrew word for image there is salem, and it is actually found in a number of locations. One of those locations is Numbers uh, chapter 33, verse 52, and in that verse, the word image, the word salem is actually used in reference to metal images Hmm. or idols. I think about the idea that God has placed or carved 
you want to use that word, his likeness in each one of us. When I look at it in those terms of God has carved his likeness in me, really changes that emphasis, changes the way that that passage looks. Um, and that's some, something that would have been totally foreign to the Israelites. I mean, even in Egypt, uh, as advanced as the ancient Egyptian empire was, only one person was made in the image of the Egyptian god Ra. That was Pharaoh. None of the other Egyptians were even considered to be made in the likeness of their god. Just one man. That was hmm. Pharaoh. And God has come along and says, no, there's a different story. There's a different narrative. We're all made in his image. We're all made in his likeness. And it's just another one of those little things. It's like, oh, well, that's different. That changes a little bit of how I see my value. And to speak a little bit to the to the cultural context, which is what we talked about last time, um, when you look at the surrounding um, creation myths, and you look at the surrounding myths of um, the many god, many godded cultures around them. The uh, the gods are anthropomorphized. Anthropomorphized? I don't know. There's a fancy word for that. The gods are made and characterized as being like humans, but in this text, God made humans in His image instead of us creating the god in our own. God creates us in his, which is countercultural to their surrounding cultures. When you read about the Enuma Elish and you read the Epic of Gilgamesh and you see gods um, exhibiting these very human characteristics of tension and arguing, fighting, being petty, you don't see that in, in this one. You see a god that's different and set apart from man and not like man. I think part of that being made in God's image is also that God gave us the ability to create. Um, you think at all think of all of the accomplishments um, not just in my lifetime or yours but going all the way back to ancient times. And um, God gave us the ability to create. And so much of it has been good. You know, you think of all the different medications that's been created to, to eradicate disease. You think about um, the technology advances in MRI imaging and x-rays and, and how easily we can diagnose um, diseases or think about space exploration or... All of these things, um, God's given us the ability to write and to write music and to make music and to, to create art. God's given us all these abilities that really kind of funnel, funnel under this idea that um, he has created us with the ability to create. Now, the problem with that is, especially in our culture, we take our ability to create and produce and do to an extreme. Hmm. Uh, it very easily, I think, becomes 
our identity. That um, what I do, what I produce, uh, determines my success. It determines my value. It determines my worth. It determines my identity. And what I see in the creation text is God saying, no, that's not what creates your worth. Your worth comes because you are created very good. Your worth comes because I created you and I love you. That comes before Adam has ever done anything, before he's named animals, before he's produced, before he's done anything. And God says, ah, that's very good. And now we circle back around to day seven. And I, th I think the significance there is that God knew when to stop creating when to stop producing, when enough was enough. And I, he's gifted us with the ability to stop and rest. Hmm. And for me, that's kind of centering. When I when I take a day, and, and my day is usually Saturdays where I don't work, my campus ministry work, that's my day to remember that no matter what God loves me and it's my day not to be productive at least in things that I would consider to be work um, and I know that's not the norm in our country hmm. and God still loves me independent of what I do independent of what I can produce and it's taken me a while to be good with that it's taken me a while to know it's okay to stop it's okay to rest. I need it. I don't know about you, but if I'm if I'm if I'm going, if I go go go, and I have one week, two weeks, three weeks where I really haven't had the time to 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 pull back and to stop. One, I get cranky and tired and irritable, and that's when I know. I mean, you haven't stopped. You haven't rested. You haven't taken the Sabbath. And so for me, this is trans transformative because my worth and my identity is no longer found in what I do or how successful I am at doing it. Do you find that you take better advantage of the time that you have working because you're taking those times to rest? Does it I'm, affect the quality of your work? It, it definitely has an impact and it has for me it has an impact on my ability to worship on Sundays because sometimes with the nature of campus ministry sometimes I'm at a supporting church on a Sunday so sometimes Sundays can be a work day but when I've taken the Saturday to rest I'm actually whether I'm at my own church or at a supporting church, um, I find that I am ready to worship, ready to ready to engage where I, wherever I'm at. So, what does a Saturday Sabbath look like for you? Is that just sitting around not doing anything? Is that what resting is? Oh no, um, Saturday Sabbath for me it mean it means one it doesn't it means no impact campus ministry work. I won't answer emails. Um, I won't work on budgets, um, all the administrative stuff specifically, 
is the part of my job that really feels like work. And I won't touch that on a Saturday. Maybe on occasion we'll have things with students. That's the fun part. So that feels less like work. But um, for the most part, you know, that's that's where I draw the line. I'll do things around the house. Uh, I may go out and fiddle around in the yard. But that's really more relaxing than it is work for me. Hmm. And so that's where I draw the I'll draw the line. If it feels like work, it's probably something I shouldn't do on a Sabbath. Do you keep some kind of support in place to hold you accountable to taking a Sabbath? My wife. <laughs> she gets on you. <laughs> Tom, I need you to sit around and stop doing housework for a change. Golly. Um, it, it takes practice. It takes preparation um, because she can't rest on a Saturday if the house is a mess. So there are definitely ways where if I don't prepare or I don't help with things on a Friday or Thursday, um, it will impact her ability to Sabbath well too. And that's, uh, so in that sense, it's not just about myself. Does your personal study time count as a Sabbath or is that work? Because right now for myself, I have a hard time finding time to take a real Sabbath. You know, I work a regular 7.30 to 4.30 job. I've got two kids at home, wife. I'm in seminary working on a master's degree. I'm your intern and whipping boy. So having time to go around to, to just rest is hard to come around. So does it count as a Sabbath if I'm doing schoolwork but I'm not doing other work because I kind of have to do schoolwork every single day otherwise I'll fall behind be it be it reading or or doing discussion questions it's kind of a question you have to answer for yourself BJ I'm your intern Tom intern me <laughs> I won't make you work on Saturday <laughs> And that's a fair question, really, because you're in a season in life where finding that margin is difficult. Uh, your original question was, uh, do I study on a Saturday? Yeah. If I'm reading and studying to write a lesson, no. Mm. Because that, for me, is that's starting to cross over into work. Into work. Um, if I'm reading and studying because I love the text and I'm geeked out about something I read and I got to dig more. Well, that's fun. So I, for me, that's probably where my guideline is, hmm. uh, but you're on a tight schedule and it makes it difficult really for me. And, and this I think is one of the big truths to come out of Genesis one. It's really the idea that, God loves us. That love is not dependent on anything that we can do or produce. God has made us in his image, and he's given us the gift of rest. Even looking at some of the structure of the poem, there's the word for seasons, which is, if you're actually counting the words of the poem in Hebrew, the word seasons would be the exact middle. The Hebrew word there for seasons is 
Would that be Moed? Ah, there it is. That is Moed. Moed. Uh, the Hebrew word for seasons is Moed, which, it, while it's translated in the English as seasons, uh, it comes in the creation of the fourth day. The word itself means the following. It's an appointed place, an appointed time, sacred season, a set feast. So you get this idea that even this focal point of this ancient Mesopotamian-style poem, this word seasons itself is celebration. It's feast. For me, that always involves family. And the idea that God sets this in place, uh, sets feasts and celebrations in place as, as something that uh, we're supposed to enjoy. That, that he's, he's created us for these things. He's created us for rest. And so taking all that all this into perspective, it really is a huge life lesson for me. There was a point in time where I was a worship minister and my identity became wrapped up as Tom Nyhart worship minister. And when I was no longer doing that, I had to find my identity again hmm. because I let it be so wrapped up in what I did and this comes along a few years later and it's like wow I was way off on that I knew I was way off on it when I, when I struggled with it but it's kind of one of those things it's kind of a little bit of a smack in the face of we are in a culture right now that is so focused on doing and, and producing and success and um, people around us that have um, working you know, both parents work and, and they work extended hours to, in order to um, provide for their families. But there's this, just this constant drive for more and, and to acquire. And um, to do that, you have to work more and do more and produce more. And it's just kind of this vicious cycle that our society doesn't know how to stop and how to rest. Hmm. And there's there can be great peace found and knowing when to stop. Would you say that rest is the key to solving the identity crisis? I would say yes, because when you realize that the world is not going to come crashing down because you stopped, that has a way of kind of recentering your thought process. When your identity is wrapped up in what you do, then it's very easy to slip into the mindset of, oh, I can't stop because everything's going to fall apart and it's up to me to keep it going. And, and when you can stop and rest, you realize, well, the world keeps going on and it's okay. The Israelites didn't learn this lesson very well either because um, as we get further into the Old Testament, you'll see um, God has to command them to remember the Sabbath. He has to command them to take these festivals and at times they still didn't learn that lesson very well like oh you want me to party okay I'll stop and party I'm good with that yeah. never did a year of jubilee no they didn't what other thoughts do you have BJ that's all I've got on this one for for this time there was one thing you said at the beginning I'm rewinding big time on you awesome you said 
six times God said that it was good. But on day two, God never declares it good. You are correct. He says, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Something went wrong the second day, it looks like, because it wasn't good. It's okay, because day three was doubly good. Really? Tell me about that, Tom. (laughs) I got it right in front of me. Uh, Read day three. Day three. Said it twice. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So the third day was double good. Third day was double good. I don't have an answer for that. I don't know why on day two that God did not see that it was good. Um, Perhaps I should uh, study that and look it up and bring that back around at some point. I'd like to hear what you find. That's a good catch. I'll dive into that too. I've never caught it. And that's that's an example of what we're trying to do. The lullaby effect. There's a lot in here. There's a lot more. Yeah. This just scratches the surface. We'll get there. A little at a time, I guess. That was the thing that really stuck out to me. Was that day two. That'll bug me. I have to see what I can find. Good. Because that's the way the text works. Always find more questions. Is that all you got today? That's all I got today. All right. Until next time. Until next time.